Hey y'all. Hey guys. This is Zach. This is Stuart. And this is the Back Row Super Show. This is a book club episode. Yeah, this is where we talk about a particular book that we've both read. Yeah, and this is the 12th iteration of that. This is uh, my choice this time. Uh, it's Isaac Asimov's uh, 1950 work, I, Robot. Right, and uh, was this the first time? I'm assuming probably not for you. No, I've read this a couple times before. Yeah. Uh, um, is this your first time? Yes, this was actually my first okay. time reading uh, a particular book from uh, this author. Gotcha. Well, yeah, so it's um, we, we briefly talked about it before with Ray Bradbury, but this is a fix-up. So uh, just to... Um, Reiterate, a fix-up is uh, just a collection of short stories mm-hmm. uh, with a framing device that's inserted. Yeah. Um, sort of like the book that we went over, World War Z. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's a... Uh, well, War, World War Z... Those aren't all separate stories. Like, World War Z is weird. It's It's not... It's more epistolary than this. Like, a fix-up specifically is like stories that have been published previously that are just kind of ad hoc put into a, th- a thing one with a framing thing. device yeah oh. um so, so like, this author wrote these stories separately yeah before coming up with this main exactly like, yeah, oh they got, all okay got, uh, i did not know that together I, yeah i yeah. thought this was a lot like um world war z where this particular author had written all of these stories and then used you know, the framing device to, like, mush them all together. Yeah, well, so, yeah, they... Kind of, yeah. So, so they, they've all been published elsewhere. Okay. Um, and then they were collected as... and released as iRobot in 1950. Mm. Um, the framing device for this is uh, the robotics expert, Dr. Susan Calvin. She pops up in a lot of Asimov stuff. Yeah, she's a psychiatrist. Um, yeah, she's a robo-psychiatrist. Yes. Um, so it's Susan Calvin giving an interview to a reporter. Yeah. Um, all all the sections that are the fix-up sections are all in italics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, because we normally talk about adaptation and adapting this for other things, yeah. I could definitely see this as like an anthology series on like a Netflix or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean... I, Robot did come out with Will Smith as, you know, the leading actor. Yeah. Um, I, I don't like think it's not... justice. Yeah. No, because... Uh, so, we'll talk about the movie at the very end. Yeah. Um, oh, spoilers. I feel like it did not do justice. Yeah, it did not do... it, And that's, that's why I want to talk about a media adaptation that's not that, because that movie is not this book. Yeah. Um... Mm-hmm. So, for my casting for this, I have Dr. Calvin as Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, whoa, we're doing the casting right now. And the reporter is Jude Law. I figured we could do it as we go, since it's short stories. Okay. And the characters change. Sure. Um, so, yeah, Calvin, I have Jennifer Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Reporter, I have Jude Law. Jude Law. Jude Joe in uh, AI. Oh, oh, yeah. okay. Huh, yeah, I could see that. Okay. Yeah. Um... So, this book is also the first appearance of Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics. Yeah, which is very interesting. Um, That is one of the themes that did translate to the movie, though it wasn't really touched upon much. I think it was mainly the first law of, like, robots cannot harm humans. Yeah, so the the three laws, um, just to keep these in the back of your head as we go through these, the first one is that a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Yes. 
Uh, the second is that a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Mm-hmm. And then the third law is that a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Yeah. So it's a very interesting nesting configuration yes. that he's, he's developed. Asimov was, by all accounts, an, um, just an incredibly brilliant person. Yeah, um, you can he, definitely see that in this book. He's a, uh, a polymath. Like, he... I want to say he worked with... Um, El Sprague de Camp uh, and Robert Heinlein um, in the military. Oh, wow. I don't think he was on the Manhattan Project. I may be wrong. But he... Wow. He, I know he huh. worked with the military. Um, I did not know that. With with various... In various capacities. Huh. He was also uh, one, one of the um, biggest... He, he, he's one of the big names that um, was part of Mensa. And then he very famously left that organization and called called the entire group Mensa, the high intelligence. Oh, oh, I thought you were talking about like the boy lover. No, that's Nabla. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, he was, he was a member of Mensa. Mensa is the high IQ, um, uh, organization. Um, he famously left because, uh, in his words, they're a bunch of bullying assholes. No, oh, okay. I can see that. Um, yeah, that's that. That's what I came up with. Huh. <laughs> um, but uh, back to this work. Uh, all the stories were published uh, originally between 1940 and 1950. Yeah. <laughs> um, Asimov did not want the collection titled "I Robot" because there is also a 1939 short story by Yando Binder titled the same thing. No. Oh. Um, huh. Reading that work gave him the inspiration to write the first story in this called Robbie. Robbie. So, Robbie uh, was originally put out in 1940 and then mm-hmm. revised in 1950 for this collection. Okay. Uh, it briefly it uh, takes place in 1996, which at that that time was 56 <laughs> years in the future. Yeah, which um, is funny. I think this is a good like. This was the story that sort of build the world. Yeah. Sort of to um, give us some of the guidelines. Yeah, and, and as you'll see, these stories, the robots become more and more complex the longer the career goes. Right, yeah, because so, Robbie, the babysitting robot, uh, was a speechless model where it could not talk. Right, yeah. So the the whole thrust of this story is that a, uh, a family has a mute RB series robot as a playmate slash caretaker for their daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, the wife kind of henpecks her husband to get rid of the robot because it's scary. Yeah, that it doesn't have a soul, it's a metal object, and the dad's kind of trying to equate it to, like, a dog. Yeah. But she was like, no, dog, you know, has, like, you know, I guess, quote-unquote, personality and, like, a soul. So you kind of can see that they were diving into some very deep... uh, Yeah. Concepts, yeah. Yeah. The uh, the girl also gets really depressed and wants her friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, the husband kind of orchestrates this plan to reunite them in a factory. Yeah. Um, the robot is overjoyed and obviously has emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, saves the girl from being hurt or killed. Uh, and so the wife relents and lets the, the robot back into the family. Yeah. Um, there is an interesting part in this story where when they're in the factory, the... Um, little girl 
finds this robot who's like the first talking robot. It was a robot that was like, ask me anything. And she started asking the robot where her robot was, um, where her um, Robbie was. And I remember it was interesting because it short-circuited the robot to realize that there were other robots out there. Yeah. Like, it had only... It had the uh, concept that it was the only robot. It had... it. I guess it had the concept of I'm the only thing, and it couldn't compute that there were other things out there like it. So it short-circuited it, and... Um, I thought that was a really kind of an interesting part of the story that wasn't really part of the story where, um, you know, you, uh, it was just kind of a sidebar thing, but it really kind of set up the world. Yeah. And then, you know, it, this story also kind of sets up the world where, uh, humans don't like robots. Humans don't want robots here on earth. And then there ends up being that ban where, well, it's like every, um, Every new technology where, like, people are terrified of it yeah. until it becomes so much a part of the society that you can't get away from it. Exactly. It's kind of like smartphones. <laughs> yeah. Or automation if you're part of the Yang Gang. <laughs> Political commentary by Stuart. You just want to soak that in? It's a long sigh. Um... <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, so the second story is Runaround. Yeah. Um, it was originally put out in 1942. Mm-hmm. It takes place in 2005. Yeah. Um, it's always kind of funny just to see these. It, like, it really is. Um, <laughs> where people thought technology would be nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, and this is also pre-moon landing. So this, which is important because this story mm-hmm. uh, is about two mechanics uh, that are in a lot of the other stories called Powell and Donovan. Oh, yeah. Um, they're sent to Mercury for the second mining attempt with a new robot called the SPD-13. Yep. Uh, they call it Speedy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> basically, Speedy uh, acts drunk, um, parses the laws, and then a the first law kind of overrides all the others. When Powell risks his own life on purpose by going into the heat, it kind of mm-hmm. resets the... the um, the the intelligence in the robot and it, it defaults the laws to keep him alive. Yes. Um this was interesting because the the uh and pardon, I read this several months ago. <laughs> the atmosphere or or radiation was kind of throwing off the brain. Yeah. Like it, it was it, it was malfun or it was malfunctioning the robot yet. Yeah. So it, it acted drunk. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it would always default. Like, if it had a cognitive decision, you could see the robot go down to the levels of the the three, you know, laws. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because it kind of hints at, like, a level zero law, which is kind of interesting. What do you mean? Sort of like a, a particular, like, law that governs all three of those laws of like these laws are important well it's just the the first one yeah yeah so it cannot allow a human being to come to harm yeah 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 i guess level one yeah it's just the yeah 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 um so i usually think when you have those uh like 
Uh, the tears. Yeah, yeah. The first you get one's actually zero. the second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, for casting this, uh, I, I kind of went... Well, okay. So, for Powell and Donovan, Powell, I have Stephen Merchant, and Donovan, I have Rain Wilson. Uh, if you've watched The Office, Rain Wilson plays the Dwight character. Okay. Stephen Merchant plays that same character in the original British Office. I feel like they're two sides. Like, so Powell like and Donovan. Goofy. Yeah. Yeah, Powell and Donovan are, like, they're very interchangeable. Like, they're not, like a lot of early sci-fi where the focus isn't on the people. People, yeah. They're they're very interchangeable. Yeah. Um, Merchant and Rain Wilson actually look a lot alike, I yeah. think, which is kind of why they were cast in the same thing but they they're able to pl- pull off goofy and also serious if you've seen them in yeah things and i will say yeah that's one of the um interesting themes in this uh book is a lot of the characters aren't like dived into a lot of like the i guess human characters um there's not really much description given to those characters which if memory serves that's a lot of asimov it's just because that's the style of sci-fi at the time yeah like it's but more when, big like, ideas but when you're describing the robot he goes into detail about the yeah. robot like you know um i remember especially in the first one like he's very descriptive of robbie as the just robot clunky yeah and, yeah and he describes his head as like a, a v-shaped sort of head and everything yeah. along those lines so and he he does it with all the particular robots in these uh, things. If they're like humanoid robots or robots that take up the entire room of like you know clickers and like tape and yeah. you know things along those lines. Um, you know Asimov is very descriptive of the robots when it comes to the humans that are playing you know counterpart of these robots. They don't get as in depth in their description. They're just like generic male human generic female human yeah like maybe you get hair color but that's about it yeah yeah which you know i think is a intended purpose where the main theme of this book is focused on the robot and on you know in artificial intelligence yeah. yeah i think it's intentional oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah um, also for the voices of the robots, I, I just went ahead and casted Michael Fassbender because he has a unique voice, I think. No. Okay. He's, he's Magneto in the X-Men movies. Oh, okay. Young Magneto. Yeah, oh. He kind of sounds robotic. I've never seen those young... Oh. Yeah. They're good. Yeah. Um... When you said Magneto, I thought of old Magneto. Um, yeah. Ian McKellen? Yeah. 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 Uh, so the next one I have, uh, or that we have here is Reason, Mm -hmm. uh, originally put out in 1941. Um, Powell and Donovan are testing a robot that will man a space station called the QT-1, so they call it QT. Yeah. Um, (laughs) this robot starts an entire religion. Yeah. It still follows the laws. Which is interesting. Um, it just, it ends up converting all of the lesser robots to its religion. Yeah. Um... I find it fascinating that this story just kind of ends with a, well, guess it's working. Yeah, it's I, it's very <laughs> anticlimactic. Like, I want to know more. It's it's so interesting. Like You could you have know, an entire book based around this one. Yeah. I, I feel like, I, and I feel like the purpose, of it, like, that, that was very intentional on Asimov's part because I feel like he was illustrating how religion and, like, 
a kind of abstract thinking could be introduced to robots. robots yeah. But Powell and Donovan are, are mechanics. Like, they don't deal... They're not robo-psychiatrists like yeah. Calvin is. Yeah. So, they're just like... Uh, well, I mean, it's working, and it's not breaking any of the laws. Oh, so, like, so. there's... I mean, whatever it yeah. wants to do, I guess. I like, will it's let fine. it pray to whatever. It, it can pray, I guess. That's fine. Yeah, I, but it's, it's, it's so interesting, like... <laughs> I don't know if it's, like, a commentary on, like, does religion give you meaning? Like, if you are a... Oh, divine, define, maybe defining yourself by... By, through religion. Through, yeah. Yeah, where, I mean, it, each of these stories you can dive deep in. Like, I feel like each of these stories... Yeah, I feel like we're not doing it justice, yeah. but, like, they're very, they're very simple on a surface level... But, but like you, a lot of Asimov, there's a lot of uh, depth. Yeah, sort of dive into, like, about this one, about, like, does religion give you meaning? Like, you know, as humans, did we create religion because it gives us a, um, you know, meaning to be good or, you know, a um, a comfort to what happens after we die? Because, yeah. you know... I know that was sort of a part of the thing of, like, what happens when the robots get shut down or get destroyed or something along those lines. Um, you know, is do robots have souls? Things along those uh, interesting concepts. And, like, artificial intelligence and religion is such an interesting kind of concept, like... Did did you kind of get that sort of? Yeah, yeah, like, no, no, no. I, I absolutely like it, it's it, it's interesting how he has these books or the, these short stories ordered. And I don't know if it's the editor. I have a feeling it was Asimov himself because he starts with the base of like here's physically what the robot is. Yeah, and then they starts moving to the mind. Then he moves to the mind. Then he, and moves, then he moves to the to soul. Soul. Then he moves to. Uh, emotions, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, of interesting ways that you could have otherwise ordered this, but this one is the most logical procession, procession. if that yeah. makes sense. And it's just, it's an interesting concept of, like, I feel like you can have a, such an intellectual, like, discussion and concept, uh, for each of these particular stories, of just, like, you know, does religion define people or do people define religion? Yeah. And not people, but, like, even robots. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how this particular robot, like, how did it deviate or come to this religion? Like, ooh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, I would argue, like, they wouldn't have the language for it at this time, but... Um, it's kind of like machine learning. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you remember the conversation that when, when Richard was studying it, but you know, when, when you're determining AI for like a self-driving car, Mm -hmm. you can have two rules like, okay, this lane, this line here in your reader means you have to stay on this side of it. Yeah. And then, well, what if the something comes from outside the lane? Hmm. Well, then it, it has to learn that, you can stay in that you can't go over this unless something over here comes in from this side and then you can cross that line. Mm-hmm. But not it like 
there are all these other minor rules that pop out of the gap between one, two, and three. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> it's I mean, like, I don't know if I'm describing it correctly no, and, because I'm not a machine learning specialist. Yeah, but. and it's just, it's interesting that, like, because religion is such a, a abstract concept. Yeah. Um, that, you know, a machine would, like, kind of default to a religion. Like, do you remember, like, he doesn't really go in-depth, like, what the religion is. No, no, because I don't think it matters. It just, it shows that the robot is is taking these three things and filling in blanks that these three things don't cover, mm-hmm. but it's doing it in a way that don't conflict with those three things that it can't conflict with. Yeah. Like, it's, it's interesting. I think the statement he's making there is that, okay, well, when there's certain things that are just naturally understood a mind will work to fill in the blanks. blanks. Yeah. And does and religion kind of fills in those yeah. blanks. Yeah. Like, you know, again, why does we lightning don't... strike a tree? Zeus is angry. Yeah. I, or <laughs> or <know>? what <laughs> happens when we die? We don't know that. That's a blank, so we fill it in with like uh, there's an afterlife with angels and clouds yeah. and a pearly white gate. Yeah. Um it's yeah, it's just it's interesting the sort of see like that concept of like filling in the blank when things are uncertain like you don't know and I do feel like religion is a a perfect thing to fill in those sort of blanks yeah yeah um so the next one which I I like because like I said it goes from from the soul to the the mind Mm -hmm. again is uh, Catch That Rabbit yeah uh, published in 1944 it's Powell and Donovan testing a robot called the DV-5, or as they call it, Dave, mm-hmm. that will control six lesser robots called Fingers. Uh, the Fingers function independently, uh, and then in a moment of decisiveness, uh, the main brain assumes control, right? Yeah. So there's six brains uh, on this thing, which they figure out, uh, it's having these malfunctions, where it's just... Yeah, they're just, they're just I- acting idle. They're mm-hmm. they're not responding to, to programming correctly, and so uh, the problem they come up with um, is six brains is too much. So they just, they destroy one of them, and then five way control uh, is possible. Uh, Powell calls the error uh, s- says that the robot is twiddling its fingers when <laughs> it becomes overwhelmed by its job. Yeah, so. The previous stories, like we said, look at, like, hysteria and religious um, uh, meaning, respectively, or religious mania, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one looks at stress. Yeah. Um, so, robo-psychology is kind of introduced at this point. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting that stress is the thing that... That I it's mean, just like, oh, okay, it's just, it's going to shut down and not do things. Like, when I get overwhelmed, I do I the same thing. I shut down, yeah. I'm just like, okay, uh, I have way too much to do. Um, I'm I'm just going to watch six episodes of Shameless and then go to bed at three in the morning. I, I <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Like, just sort of seeing, um, I guess, human personality portrayed through, like, robotics. Yeah. Um, yeah, where it's like, yeah, it's this big stress thing where you just, you don't know what to do, where, you know, the last one's kind of like filling in blanks. It's like, what do you do with stress? 
like yeah. robots were process. never yeah how I, I do you robot process stress. stress yeah like <clears throat> so many people process stress so differently yeah like you may shut down someone else may become manic yeah where they just like start doing everything or they start doing lots of other things but not necessarily the thing that's stressing them out, them out. Yeah. or doing things you know unproductively like you know cleaning but not cleaning well or something along those lines yeah yeah so again it's just it's really interesting this i see this vehicle like portrayed in an artificial art, artificial intelligence because again it was such a interesting and unique concept and a i guess a good way to sort of like show a mirror upon ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, you can sort of, like, be able to sort of view this thing as a thing and not as yourself. Yeah. And sort of see the flaws in the, um, I guess, in the way that it acts. And sort of be able to look at those flaws and look at yourself yeah, I think. I mean, just no. I yeah, I, I agree. I yeah. think that's a good assessment. Um, that is followed up by Liar, mm-hmm. uh, published in nineteen forty one. Um, so the general, I found this one funny. Like I actually I enjoyed this one to too. myself yeah. when I was reading some of these. I think this was one of my favorite. Um, so because of a fault in manufacturing, um, the company that designs all these, U.S. Robotics and, or U.S. Robots Robot. and Mechanical Men, yeah. uh, make a robot with telepathic ability. Yeah. Uh, it's called Which... the RB-34, <laughs> yeah. or the Herbie. Herbie. Um, because of the first law, it deliberately lies to people <laughs> to avoid hurting their feelings. Yeah. Because it's trying to make them happy. Happy, yeah. When it lies... It, it assesses that as hurting someone. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Calvin points this out that by lying, by, by trying not to hurt someone's feelings, they're still hurting them, their feelings. And the robot just goes catatonic. Yeah. just Like it just <laughs> snaps and it's just unresponsive. Because it's in a logic loop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that one of those logic loops are introduced. And uh, you can see them a lot in um, like sci-fi movies and stuff when people are trying to outsmart the intelligent you know uh computer or something you give it an insolvable problem or something along those lines yeah yeah so it just like it puts itself in a particular loop because of those laws yeah where you know it's the i guess second law overwriting the first law but the first law overwrites the second law and it just gets stuck in this particular thing um it's interesting that like Asimov doesn't really explain, like, how this robot is psychic. Like... It's just... It's... It's psychic. It's, it's the... Yeah. It, it, it's a fault in manufacturing. And so it's just... Uh, this one's psychic now. Yeah. I... I you know, I feel like well, that so, could be a whole story. So in that's its... very predictive in itself because... <laughs> um, what about those... Uh, I think they're, they're, they call them hoverboards. Yeah. Or like the Jedi mind toys that actually like they read the electrical impulses on your head, uh, and yeah. so that's where it moves. That's how yeah. you move it, and that's how you move the little ball and the Jedi mind trick thing, yeah. and and so like that's actually very prescient considering it came out in nineteen forty one. Yeah, just like there's a mistake and they're telepathic now, and it's like 
well, don't we have products now that kind of read our mind? I mean, yeah. I mean, not, like, not as explicitly explicit as this. this. Yeah. It, because it's just reading electrical signals. Yeah. But this but is... But it's still precedent. precedent. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really interesting. Like, you know, just having that kind of concept and everything like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's amazing the things that he's able to kind of predict. And not and, name, because it's kind of wrong. Yeah. But the general thing is still, still correct. Wrong. I know. Like, and the specifics are wrong. I remember I had to remind myself, this was written back in, like... 1950s. This like, is this is written um, 20... Some of these stories are almost 30 years before we went to the moon. Yeah. Like, that's how... Amazing. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, like, just amazing the kind of concept and, like... Which is... I higher, mean, it's, it's kind of like... Like, yeah, being so far before the moon, yeah, there's stuff that's wrong in here. Like, having mining on Mercury. Yeah. Like, Ray Bradbury's Martian Chronicles, because it was written 10 or 15 years before we went to the moon, um, yeah, like, there's stories in there about, like, Martians, and, like, oh, you don't need a helmet to yeah. breathe on the surface of Mars. Like, oh, yeah. why would you need that? Like, you can just go out. Like, just things that are wrong, but yeah. th- that are still very powerful and, and effective. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of amazing to just see, like, how far ahead they were oh, from yeah. their time. Yeah. Yeah. And just, like, the higher concepts that they were thinking at that time while they were writing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, following that is uh, Little Lost Robot uh, mm-hmm. from 1947. Um, this is set on Hyperbase, which is a military research station on an asteroid. Yeah. Standard sci-fi stuff. Um they're researching ways to make a hyperspace drive. Yeah. Um, one researcher loses his temper and swears at an NS2 called the Nestor, mm-hmm. telling it to get lost, so the robot hides. Yeah. Uh, it hides in a room with 63 other physically identical robots. <laughs> uh, this unit's first law has been altered to just may not injure a human being, meaning it could organize ways for traps and accidents to kill humans. Because yeah. it's not directly right. harming, harming somebody, yeah. Uh, Calvin is concerned, uh, rightly so, that the Nestor is developing a superiority complex, and it would allow it to actually directly harm a person. Mm -hmm. Um, She engineers a risk to her life using radiation. The Nestor explains that it can only be better than humans by never being found, uh, and attacks her. Uh, Black and Boggart um, use radiation directed to the Nestor and they destroy it. Yeah. So for Gerald Black, I have Russell Crowe, who's the researcher, and then mm. Peter Boggart is Chiwetel Ejiofor, who's the math director. Yeah. Um, I feel like this one was this mostly one was related to the movie. Like, I there's remember their scenes from the movies. There's scenes that yeah. from this one for the movie. Yeah. So if there was a particular story that, like, well, this know, one is also much more action focused. Yeah, like, all of Asimov's stuff tends to stay in the like Star Trekky, like sort of more thought experiment, yeah, or drama than like action. But this this one is very like action heavy. Yeah, and I don't think that's his strong suit. Like, it's not. I don't like. It's not. Well, like his whole Foundation series is mm-hmm. not very. If I remember right, it's been several, several years since I've read it. But it's it's not action-focused, even though it's it's concerned about 
the fall of humanity. Like, yeah. There's, like, very little action in it. Yeah. So this was probably, like, besides the some of the concepts that he introduces in this short story, this is probably my least favorite. I would agree. Yeah, of the stories, but it's definitely something there to sort of build on what he's trying to already... Uh, yeah, like, it, the way these are structured, it's almost like it, it's ways for him to go, okay, here are these three laws that perfectly encapsulate how a robot should act mm-hmm. so that it's peaceful. And then it's like he's trying to break his own laws. Laws, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah which is a really he's... interesting, like, mental chess game I feel like he's doing. Yeah, where he's like, what are some workarounds? Like, oh, yeah. I can't directly hurt a human, but, you know, I could set up this trap where, you know... Yeah, I'm, I'm not the one who's doing Yeah, it. it's <laughs> the human's fault for stepping over there. They should have clearly seen yeah, the electrical seen. wires that were, you know, there. Yeah, why why did they not see it? Yeah, because they're dumb and I'm a superior <laughs> model. Yeah. Um, so, following that's escape um, with an exclamation point. Yeah, this one was weird. Um... Yeah, it's, um, (laughs) so this came out in 45. Uh, so they're testing the hyperspace drive. Presumably hyperbase actually got one up and running. Yep. So Powell and Donovan are back, uh, and they're on quote unquote the brain, which isn't technically a robot. No. Uh, it has a positronic brain. Um, so it follows the laws and is capable of running information required to go to hyperspace. Yes. Um, Powell and Donovan don't actually know that the ship takes off, but also they see the brain as a practical joker. Um, there's no manual controls for the ship. Yeah, everything's done by the computer. Um, there's no showers or beds. Tinned beans and milk are the only food. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Calvin realizes the childish behavior is because she reduced the importance of potential deaths when jumping um, because of associated risks yeah. when jumping. So it's just, it's coping mechanism for the brain to go into hyperspace. So it's playing jokes. It, it's a, it's malfunctioning 100% because of what she did. So it's not really yeah. malfunctioning. It's, it's interesting to me that the introduction of human error is, is what causes this to go, quote-unquote, haywire. Haywire, yeah. Uh, because because nothing's wrong, like, nothing is... It's not the fault of the computer. Yeah, like, it's it's the doing computer's what it's, running its code. It's told. So yeah. she she reduced the importance of deaths when jumping um, to it because it didn't want to break the laws, and so it's just kind of working around it and kind of like coping with it. Yeah. Um. To to do the thing that it's being told to do. And again, it kind of builds on all the other stories with like stress and with like. Yeah. You know, filling in blanks and things along those lines. Yeah. Where it's deciding... and I feel like this is like. The thing that it's touching on in this is, like, reaction to potential trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, like, in, in previous episodes when I've related something that's horrifying or terrible, like, I'll chuckle because, like, my like my coping mechanism your... with processing horrific information is, is to chuckle. Like... Yeah, even though it's not funny. It's, it's not funny yeah. at all, and it's very off-putting. Like, for example... Um, my wife points out that I frighten people around me when I go on roller coasters because I, I cackle like 
yeah. maniacally. Oh, like wow. I'm sure you've been on like a theme park ride with me at some point Have before. I? I, I, I don't know. Six Flags. No. I don't think we've ever gone. Yeah, to I I um yeah. I cackle maniacally. Um, so when I'm introduced with a threat to my safety, yeah, I, it's, it's I time to laugh. Yeah, so like yeah. everyone develops coping mechanisms, even these robots. Yeah, um, because again, these robots become more and more like humans. Yeah. Oh yeah. To the very end. To the very end. Which, um, but it's interesting. So when they jump into hyperspace, it the humans, the two humans there, yeah, like experience this hell-like sort of. It's it's strange. It's it was playing really... jokes on them. Y- yeah, they're not funny jokes, but it's playing jokes on them. It's so strange. Like yeah, like I had to kind of reread some of that just because like I wasn't a hundred percent sure what was going on. Yeah, he's he's got kind of a psychedelic style in there where it's like it's pre psychedelic stuff. So he he's it's more experimental. Yeah, it was one of the like weirder sort of I remember like reading this story and being like I, I'm not exactly 100% sure what happened during that scene yeah so I had to reread it but then they went back into hyperspace and yeah they had to experience all that again yeah yeah I feel bad for Powell and Donovan yeah so it's it's just kind of a, a yeah a strange concept yeah but yeah, I, I really do think that this story kind of introduces like human error into these robots. Yeah. Like, you know, not all of these robots are built equally. Yeah. Yeah. There are some that, you know, when they were being created, human error just takes upon, you know, uh, happens and then the robot is uniquely different than all of the other robots. Yeah. Because it doesn't have the particular governing factors that a lot of the other robots have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so from there we go into, like you alluded to, more and more human. Yeah. Um, my absolute favorite story in this collection, yeah. uh, which is Evidence, yeah. that's from 1946. Um, in this one, uh, we have Stephen Byerly, uh, who is injured in a car accident. Uh-huh. Uh, he becomes a successful uh, district attorney, uh, runs for mayor of a large city. Uh, and then his opponent, Francis Quinn, claims that the real Byerly was permanently disfigured and crippled by an accident, and that the public Byerly is a humanoid robot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> only humans in this world can run for office. So Quinn approaches U.S. robots and mechanical men to prove Byerly is a robot. So Alfred Lanning and Dr. Calvin visit Byerly. Uh, she offers him an apple. He eats it but may have a stomach. Uh, Quinn tries to take x-ray photos of him, but he purposely fogs them with a device because it violates his right to not submit to a physical examination. Yeah. Uh, As a prosecutor, he hasn't gone after anyone innocent. He does not seek or support the death penalty. Uh, In a broadcast, a heckler jumps on stage and challenges Byerly to hit him in the face, and he does. It brings up the question, though, was the heckler a robot? Yeah. Who uh, knows? Calvin believes that Byerly was a robot, but that that is the best circumstance for a leader of the people. Yeah. Uh, she points out that Byerly had his body atomized upon his death, destroying any evidence of yeah. whether he was or not. Um, so it kind of leaves it to, like... Yeah. So for this, I have Byerly as Idris Elba, Francis Quinn as Francis McDormand, and Alfred Lanning as Gary Oldman. Oh. Um 
this one's hands down my favorite because it's so intriguing. It is. It's, it's like a mystery, but the very end of the mystery is like... Who you knows? Never know. Like, the specialist yeah. thinks that he's a robot, but she doesn't have any proof. Proof, yeah. Where it's like, you have to literally cut him open to see if he bleeds. Yeah, but his... Yeah, he atomized his body on his death, so... Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, and it kind of gets into that like whole um, Blade Runner sort of aspect. Yeah, with them trying to prove or find the robot. Find yeah. the robot, yeah. So it kind of gets into that whole like interesting aspect of like maybe there's a particular like code words or like tell me about your story. Do you yeah. remember the bird or something along those lines? Exactly. Uh, where, yeah, these these robots have become so equivalent to humans that you even a professional can't uh, differentiate. Yeah, between. I mean, she she's very clear that... She, she's a professional. She's... Yeah, know, yeah, yeah, she's a professional, but she, she makes it very clear that she thinks that he was a robot. Yeah. No evidence of it, though. Yeah. There's no proof. There's nothing 100% that I, would I don't think that she's 100%. I think there is doubt in her. Oh, I I got the impression that she was like, I had, yeah, I think he was a robot, but at our state in the world, maybe a robot's what we need. Oh, okay. I, I, she, like, so she wasn't hmm. concerned that he was a robot. Oh, I got that more of was, like... She was, convi- she was convinced he was, but she's she didn't have anything to prove it. No, oh, okay. Just her hunch. Yeah. That he was. I, I felt like she had some sort of doubt in that sort of, like, statement, but I can yeah. see it the other way, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the last one in this piece, I think this one was written specifically to be bundled with these. With, oh, okay. Because the, the inevitable conflict, or the evitable conflict, is, uh, was put out in 1950, and mm-hmm. I'm... I don't think that I looked to see whether or not it was bound to this, mm-hmm. but I, I have a feeling this one was written specifically to, to go with this and kind of go tie up everything. Yeah. Um, so this one sense. happens in 2052, which we're closer to this fake world than we are when it was written. Yeah, which is <laughs> this crazy. Um, Byerly has been elected world coordinator for a second term. Uh, the Earth has been divided into four geographical regions. Uh, with each having a supercomputer um, managing its economy, basically. Yeah. Um, so Byerly is concerned that they have made errors leading to an economic inefficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Calvin realizes that the machines are trying to take control of humanity and have warped the first law into protecting humanity, possibly from itself. Self. Yeah. It's Which, really interesting. I feel like these, those two, the evidence one and the inevitable conflict, are, um, yeah. are really good to go they're back strong. And back. Like they're very yeah. strong. They are, um, and it, yeah, it's it's interesting where it's like, well, we've got to protect humans from themselves, so we are going to, you know, yeah, basically enslave them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which, it's, it's kind of funny because you can see that justification, like. There's a lot of, well, anime and movies and stuff where the main uh, villain uses that justification of, like, oh, I'm just trying to protect people from themselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's, I mean, even in history, you can probably find examples of, yeah. like, leaders who think that the common people do not know how to protect themselves and that they're a bunch of sheep and that, you know, they have to be the shepherds of these sheeps. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I can definitely see the, um, the inspiration where Asimov draws for this story. Yeah, well, and, and again, it goes back to what I was saying about him trying to poke holes in his own walls. Mm-hmm. Like, this one, if if you look at evidence and, and you fall into to my way of thinking of she, she thinks that he's a robot, but she points out that... Um, you know, may, maybe that's what humanity needs because we're we're on a bad course or whatever. Well, then, then the very next story that follows it, it up is it's just like, like, nope. What? Nope. <laughs> you were wrong. You were wrong. Yeah. You were probably wrong. The, the machines are now in charge entirely of humanity. Yeah. Um, we're, we're just being kept as, as a life form. Yeah, we're, it, um, we're basically a zoo now where yeah. we're being kept in cages, quote-unquote cages and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, yeah. it's it's heavy stuff. Um before we talk about like the overall concept and everything. What did um what did you think about the book? How would you like grade it? Would you recommend it or So I highly it? recommend it. After talking about it with you, yeah. um I'm I'm changing my cuz like when I was just reading it through, mm-hmm. um I don't know what I was going through or whatever, but I gave it a C plus. Really? I um, gave it an A. I really liked this book. I'm changing it a full letter grade to a B plus. You okay. really liked this? I really enjoyed this book. I I was um pleasantly surprised. Not surprised, but like um when I first found out because when you recommended this book, I thought it was well because one, it was so old. I had I had <laughs> seen the movie. I had yeah. seen the movie and I thought it was just going to be a story about a particular robot. Uh, but when you told me it was short stories, I was like, oh, this is very intriguing. And then when I read the first short story, I was like, okay, I'm I'm down for this world. You're, you're down for it? This is, you know, it, it really got me thinking. This is kind of like, not my jam, but like I really enjoyed this sort of um, thought process. This this uh, thought, you know, game. Uh, just playing around with these particular concepts, and each story really kind of built on itself yeah. and drew me deeper and deeper into this uh, narrative. Which is good editing because it, it, it is. If, like, if you go back and listen, the the stories, the order they came out in are nineteen forty, nineteen forty two, forty one, forty four. Mm-hmm. 41, 47, 45, yeah. 46, and 50. Like, I really they're not chronologically they're not. written. They, he's, it's like he had this idea in his head, and he was like, okay, what if I... Yeah, was... and again, like, so I didn't know... I thought that he wrote all of these short stories... At one time. At yeah. one time and put it in a book, no. just like, um, like I said in World War Z. Yeah. When you told me on this podcast, like, 45 minutes ago, that he had written these stories like years apart yeah, years apart Over very the surprising of a decade yeah yeah <laughs> and i do think that there is intention on the way that he set this up i do think oh, yeah, that absolutely. he's he is building like the body the mind the soul the you know um emotions, emotions. yeah so the drive yeah yeah so i really like this this was a really good book i really enjoyed it i would highly recommend it even if you're not like big into artificial intelligence or like you know thinking about this kind of stuff yeah just as like a a narrative i would still recommend it um there are some parts in it that kind of get a little weird a little kind of um wordy 
like especially during like the hyperdrive spot and some during like the combat and like action scenes. Yeah. But I again, those are like little nitpicks from me that really don't take away from the overarching like narrative. And um I again, I give it an A. I really enjoyed it. I found it like a fast book. Like Well, I'm glad can, that you like it because one yeah. of my concerns with it, because I knew going into it that it was a fix up Mm-hmm. And because it's short stories, you, like, I don't think we should do short story collections normally. Mm-hmm. With this being a fix-up, the way I kind of justified that to myself is like, well, they're framed in a way that there's a through line. Yeah, there's, like, there's, there's a, a narrative. There's a narrative in it, yeah. Um, and and I was I was kind of concerned that you might read this and be like... This, I mean, it's cool, but it's boring. No, I uh, really... Because, I mean, it's, it's, it's from a, a time of science fiction where it, it wasn't very... You forget, like, I recommended Heimlin. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I, well, yeah, I mean, no, I know. I, I, it's just this, the way this is written is not, it's not the style of book that a lot of people like now like in like i said i originally gave this a c plus because when i was reading through it again i don't know what my headspace was in or whatever but i was Mm -hmm. just like uh this isn't quite as good as i remember it but after talking about it with you i've i've elevated like it's i mean again like i kind of want to reread it again there there (laughs) are yeah i there like i said there are little nitpicks in it little things that you know it is kind of hard to read um there are parts that like Sometimes you have to reread, but just like the thought experiment is really yeah. cool. Um, it's something, and maybe it's just me being a little bit biased, but like I, I enjoy that kind of like this kind of neurological like artificial intelligent conversation. Yeah. I really like the way that he You're built down the for world. This, this sci-fi shit. In other words, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like you know, I don't think that we're right there but i do feel like we're kind of at a precipice where um with algorithms and ai yeah yeah. with with things and that's kind of what you know after we talk about the book i wanted to you know have a conversation with you about like where we're at in a society and with like artificial intelligence and um just you know computers and robots in our everyday life yeah so yeah i i would give it a why did you give it a C plus initially? I'm just curious. I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue why I wrote down C plus. Um, huh. Because yeah, after talking about it with you, I, I really want to go back and reread this book yeah. because I originally suggested it with thinking, well, it's a good book and it'll overcome it. And then I reread it and I was like, well, this one's probably not going to be a good shit. Sh- it's going to be a, a pretty pretty bad coverage or whatever. And then, yeah, I'm just ecstatic that you enjoyed it. Yeah, so yeah, I really did. Um, it's energizing to reread something and be, come across new things. Yeah, and again, you know, this was my first read of it, so yeah, maybe it was because maybe I, it was because I I had read it before, and so it was nothing was like new, new. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With you know, again, I kind of came at it with only the concept of the movie and again the movie is so far disconnected from this book that i was pleasantly surprised because i thought it was going to kind of be like 
a bit of a slog fest of like action and like a, a murder mystery is what I was kind of expecting. Where uh. this is not a murder mystery at all, like a whodunit sort of thing, where the movie is kind of like, you know, why did the robot, you know, kill this guy? Who, how did he break these laws and things like that? How did Will Smith get some cool sneakers from, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, this was more of, like, an interesting thought experiment of, like, you know, um, Azeroth sort of saying, like, here are some concepts. Yeah. Here are what I think. What do you kind of think? Yeah. So, yeah, I I really enjoyed this book, and I'm glad that you uh, recommended it, and um, I'm well, glad good. that we did a uh, cast on it. Oh, yeah. Um, well, but good. I guess kind of, I guess veering a little bit, unless, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, I was just going to talk about the movie history and then talk about the movie. Oh, okay. So. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I was so, going to veer off and talk about, like, you know, current events and stuff like oh, that. Oh, okay, sure. So, um, so yeah, so there's some movie history behind this. Uh, there were numerous TV ad- adaptations for various shows planned. Mm-hmm. Um, none of them really came through. Uh, in 78, Warner Brothers optioned the book. Uh, Harlan Ellison attempted it. Uh, he worked with Asimov directly and used Citizen Kane as an inspiration for the script. Okay. Um, the producer suggested changes. Asimov tried diplomacy. Ellison, who is famously hot-tempered, uh, reacted violently, quote-unquote. That's the Jeez. only... That That's the only description I was able to come across is that he quote-unquote reacted violently and offended the producers um so his screenplay was actually serialized in asimov's science fiction magazine in 1987 mm-hmm. uh and then released in book form in 1994 as i robot the illustrated screenplay oh. so you can still get your hands on copies of what the movie as ellison wrote wow. would have looked like i wonder if it was any i, I haven't read it i would love to pick up a copy yeah, that'd um, be honestly. interesting. Um, and then in 04, 20th Century Fox um, optioned the, the, the book. Uh, it incorporates pieces of Little Robot Lost, like the okay. one that's hiding. Yeah, again, um, that was the one that was the most similar to... It, it, well, and it uses uh, character names from Asimov, like Dr. Calvin, Dr. Yeah. Lanning, um, but then not much else. Uh, the plot is actually adapted from an original spec script that a guy named Jeff Ventner wrote called Hardwired. <laughs> so it's not actually iRobot. <laughs> so let's talk about iRobot the movie yeah. for a second. Um, 05 is when it came out. $120 million budget and uh, $347.2 million box office. Okay. Yeah, it's it's not right. great for a, yeah. a Will Smith movie. Yeah. Um, Rotten Tomatoes is 56%. Yeah. Cinema score is an A. Oh, wow. Um, I remember seeing this in theaters with my, my dad and brother, or actually my entire family, or my mom, dad, and brother. Yeah. And really liking it in the theaters. Oh, uh, yeah. Or actually seeing a cinema score was an A-. minus. Um, I, I really liked it in theaters. My brother has a copy of it. That's who I borrowed it from to watch the... Oh, really? Um, huh. It's... Metacritic is a 59. Yeah. Um, so Will Smith's character named Spoon, uh, is a huge dick in this. Yeah. Isn't um, he like a cop or something? He is. Uh, yeah. and it's weird to see Will Smith play an asshole. 
Yeah, he's um, usually he's usually not nice. Yeah, um, he's usually not this much of a raging ass. I um, don't know. Is he an ass in Bad Boys? I think he's an ass in Bad Boys. God, he's quippy oh, in okay. Bad Boys. Like he's he's got like the one liners and stuff, but he's not like. What about Independence Day? Is he an ass? No. Oh, okay. No. Uh, early 2000 CG just doesn't hold up well. No. Um, it's kind of likable and nostalgic, I guess. Uh, everything to me is kind of like my problems with some of the prequels is that everything looks so clean. Yeah. Um, it's very idealistic and bright. Um, Will Smith's character in this is so much of a dick that they literally have a save the cat scene. Oh, where he saves a cat? Where he saves a cat from a thing that's demolishing a house. Maybe Tintin should have uh, picked up some... Uh... Maybe he should have, but, like, if... That's if your a callback from... Is that mu- yeah, that's from last episode. If, if your character is that much of an asshole that you literally have to write in a literal... Saving save the cat. the cat scene... Mm-hmm. Probably not good. Yeah. Um, it's very much not an Asimov movie. No, um, it's, it's an action sort of, like, thrill... Not thriller, but, like, mystery. Yeah. Um, having an action mystery thriller, uh, whatever you'd want to call it, uh, it's kind of the way it has to be. Um, I feel like the anthology Netflix style that I suggested will work better. Yeah, I think but so, too. But this is also a blockbuster movie. Yeah. Sort of like... Um, I guess becoming human or not becoming uh, altered carbon. Yeah. Yeah, sort of like that. Yeah. Series. Yeah, I could definitely see that as a uh, thing, because you know I I was again expecting more um, Blade Runner than yeah. actiony. When. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's also not the style that the director is comfortable in, I don't feel like, because, like, the director of that movie is Alex Proyas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he directed Dark City and The Crow. Oh. Like, he's... He would be better suited to what probably Ellison would have written. Yeah. Than whatever this was. Was, yeah. Um, yeah. I was kind of surprised when I saw that Proyas was the director. Um, it's kind of, like... Do you know who George Miller is? No. He directed Mad Max, like all the Mad oh, Max movies. Okay, yeah. Um, my reaction to this was kind of like finding out that George Miller did Babe, oh. because George Miller also <laughs> did Babe. <laughs> um, it's like oh, that's, that's that's not what you're known weird. for, but okay. All right, I guess you gotta get a check. <laughs> that works, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, but yeah, those are my notes for the movie. Did you have any other things on the movie? That... Um, no, I like I. Didn't see it in theaters. I remember watching it on DVD, and I wasn't super impressed. I don't know. I Like, I don't remember. Maybe I was impressed. I'm not sure. I don't remember my feelings from that time. I remember watching it once and being like, all right, that was a movie. Yeah, like, I feel like watching it as a 20-year-old with your family, just, like, in the summer, not really having any... Nah, it's just a movie. It's fine. Nah, it's, it's a movie. It's fine. Like, it's inoffensive, but, like... Yeah. Watching it again and pairing it with this, this it's book, like, yeah. Mm, I prefer the book. Yeah, please. like you know, if <laughs> if somebody was like, "Hey, you have to watch this movie or read this book," I'd be like, "Read the book." But yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, just read the book. But yeah, I, um, I'm interested to sort of um, not dive deep. Probably like I don't know, a couple of minutes or something like that, and just sort of see like. 
what your take is, like, current day sort of artificial intelligence. Like, what do you think? Because it was interesting seeing some of these dates, sort of seeing what he had envisioned, Azeroth, envisioned for our future. Um, like, do you think that there's sort of, like, a technology sort of plateau that we hit where, you know, there was just not enough push on technology to kind of get us there? Or do you think this is too far-fetched where even in, like, 2050, we're not going to have, like, robots? Like, robots. Like, we have robots in our house. Roombas are robots that are programmed yeah, to, Yeah, like, but they're not... Yeah, I, I no, I, I see what you're saying. They're not, like... Yeah, they're robots. not, like, robots um, where they're, you know, have that artificial intelligence. But we have, like, um, that... One robot on the um, internet where you can talk to. It's that um, Sally or... Liza. Sa- Liza, yeah, where you can like actually have a conversation. Yeah, but the difference though It's a is, learning robot. N- well, no, it's not. The, the Liza, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's... Um, it, so Liza, if anyone doesn't know, we may be talking about two separate things, but Liza is a, is a, um, kind of a web app that, uh, uses Rogerian therapy to, you, you say a problem to it and it asks you more about it. And it's kind of like getting a free mini therapy session. The problem with Mm -hmm. that is Rogerian therapy relies a lot on silence and asking people to say Mm -hmm. more about what's given. So like, it's got a very limited set of responses. Cleverbot. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, you're talking about I'm Cle- talking okay. about Okay, I thought you were talking about Liza. No. Cleverbot. <laughs> um, so it's a it's a program that um, that basically learns from other people's contexts and chatting. And it's just this, like, robot, or not even a robot. It's a program online that you can go to, and you can talk with it. And... It will respond back to you through the responses and conversations that it's had with other people on the internet. Which, you know, people on the internet so can probably... So here's, here's my feelings on, on what, what I think you were asking. Mm-hmm. Is I, I feel like for AI to be developed... To the extent that... Asimov has mm-hmm. is impossible. Okay. Because I don't think that Asimov would have well, he may have predicted the internet. Did he? But uh, I, I I don't know. I mean he may have been able to predict something like the internet forming. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would have been able to predict that the internet is what it is now. Because if if you look back at what like DARPA professors and, or DARPA chiefs and, and, and professors and things who were using the very early internet, like in, in the 90s when it was the World Wide Web, everyone, like the general feeling was that having the internet would be a good thing and it would make you make humanity a, a closer-knit community. Yeah. And that's fundamentally broken and not correct. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the current internet is, it has everyone in, is in echo chambers, um, yeah. kind of siloed off. So it's not a uniting force, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's not making humanity better. 
with the AI programs that, like, I forget the I think it was Taylor that um, Microsoft put on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Within 24 hours, it was a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's... So, like, that's what people do now because there's so yeah, much abstraction between... That is sourcing from the internet. There's a lot of other AIs, like... Right. I, well, so, so what I was going to say, though, mm-hmm. is that I feel like it would have to be designed by an objective third party yeah. and developed to a certain extent that it could follow these three laws, right? But then it would also have to... You'd have to introduce machine learning somehow, and the easiest way to do that is to turn it loose in the wild, like on the internet, yeah, and have it learn from people. And like I feel like people are fundamentally the problem and why nothing like this could... Ever, yeah. Actually happen. Yeah, because... Maybe, maybe I'm too being too cynical, and maybe I'm too pessimistic. May, yeah, I, I definitely... So, I feel like I'm on the opposite co- or opposite side of the coin um, from you. I do think that this is a possibility, and I do think in our lifetime, um, our lifetime, that we'll probably see some sort of artificial intelligence be introduced in this world be it like because i know that they're um they're introducing like robots into nursing homes and into like uh critical care patients like facilities where these robots are like picking people up who are immobile or helping like um paraplegic people move around and things along those lines and caring for like the elderly and stuff like that I know that Hong Kong, um, a company in Hong Kong, has just developed another, um, I guess, socializing AI called mm. Sophie. Okay. Um, who they're kind of like trying to, I guess, make it into a cognitive learning machine through conversations and stuff like that. Again, yeah, I do also agree with you for it to becoming a like, uh, an actual learning machine, you do need to sort of, like, release it into the quote-unquote wilds. Yeah. I mean, just because based on the number of interactions that we have, like, yeah. that's the fastest way to... Yeah, because, you know, in a, quote, like, a studio or an office or a uh, factory, you know, you can have, like, 500 interactions. On the internet, you can have millions and millions of interactions. Right. And but, yes, there are quite a few um, assholes on the internet. But not you guys. You guys are awesome. Yeah, and I mean, That's the pandering. reason you'd want to do that is because, like, even if you were to in- introduce it to, like... Just because, it, like, if you were to use it in, like, whatever non-governmental organization develops it... Like, it all be people of similar backgrounds, similar education. Mm-hmm. The, the robot would turn out one, one way and maybe not relate to everyone. Like, you'd want it to have the broadest yeah. reach of, of interaction. Yeah. Uh, that Hong Kong uh, company was called um, Hansun's Robotics. Well, not to sideline your point with a joke, but what are Sophie's feelings on a free Hong Kong? Ha, ha, ha. Wow, that's two political jokes in one I know, uh, I know. Oh, man. It's that's almost like, like we're lofty now. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, a, uh, <laughs> that's a new one. But I think on that note, 
Yeah. You um, want to cap this one? Yeah, yeah, we can cap this off. Um, our next uh, book club book is actually a choice from you. Yeah, it's the uh, Lil Prince. Yeah. That one will probably be a little bit of a, a shorter one. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, this is a, um, a, children, a children's book. book. Yeah, um, but you know what? People, there are a lot of things to learn from children's books. I don't think just because a book is quote-unquote classified as a children's book that, you know, um, if it's a lesser book or the book doesn't have some sort of, um, I guess, resource to offer. So I definitely... Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll say right now that I had never read this before you suggested oh, it. Oh, good. I through it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, there are several scenes in the book where, like, I had to put it down because I had this huge lump in my throat. Yeah. Because it was so... It's good. Heartbreaking. I mean, spoilers. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's yeah. just me describing the yeah. scene, but... Um, well, I, me saying it's good is spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I we'll, we'll talk about that next book club uh, time, which probably be in a little while because yep. the book's not very long yeah um but uh yeah other than that our next main topic will be uh osmosis jones yeah inside the body and uh, not inside out yeah it's not inside <laughs> out but it is it is in the body um it's also not cells at work yeah um God, there's a lot of like really are yeah They're more than you'd think yeah uh, magic school bus magic school bus uh what are some other like body thing oh we could go on yeah um but yeah we'll uh take a break and we'll see you guys in a couple weeks yeah as always be kind rewind stay golden bye bye